So my name is Tams, and I know most of your faces. Um, someone has already said, are you going for a German look today? So <laughs> I think I've, my hair is just too long, Shane, also. So we're both in sort of, I'm sure it's a holy thing to grow your hair very long. Um, and so now it's up in a German style, not to reflect my theology or anything like that. Um, welcome. It's nice to see you. Um, yeah, as Shane said, um, it's been a few weeks since I've joined um, our collaborative pastoral leadership team, which is uh, just slips off the tongue so easily. Um, and it's nice to, to share and um, to speak and um, be kind every now and then, throw me a few of these. That'll, that'll be helpful and not the kind of, you know, the, the email for later. That's okay as well. You can, you can do the email for later. I've, um, my email is shane at <laughs> fncc. Um, so this, if you haven't been this year, we're um, going through a really nice sort of patterning of a little series. Um, we started, I'm going um, to jump up, um, we're sort of in this space of Lent right now um, and talking about false paths and authentic paths that our lives can take. But we began um, in the church calendar. Um, was, this new, was this a new image for, for many of you? It was for me. I think I've heard of it, um, but not seen it in such a visual form. The church calendar has all these kind of marked times to help the church celebrate together, um, the different parts of the year. It's a very tiny um, image. The green says ordinary time, and this purple over here is in Lent, obviously where we are. Um, and ordinary time is time not dull, but it's time when there's no major events that we celebrate, but our, our discussion here centred around ordinary time is time when we regroup, it's time when we um, look at our lives, it's time when we find our inner strength for those moments when it's needed, um, which happen at any moment, at any stage. Um, ordinary time is finding the sacred in the tiny things um, that look incredibly dull at some in some light and then the light changes and they suddenly look very sacred. Um, if you know the poet Annie Dillard, she um, she captures that. She just says, "Glory is everywhere," um, and it's not it's that's not a changing thing. It's just how we see things. So that's ordinary time. These beautiful periods of time where we see clearer, or we find our strength, we find routine. Um, we are now in Lent. Is anyone observing a Lenten practice? Has anyone observed a Lenten practice that has slipped off and changed throughout? I've got, well, I've got two people who put their hand up for a Lenten practice and no one except myself who committed to something um, wasn't major, but I, I have to get back on the boat with my Lenten practice. Um, so my Lenten practice was I didn't want to have my phone in my room at night. Um, I don't know, you know, it's really good not to have your phone. And so I've set it all up and it started really well that no phone, no technology, and it has slowly entered my room. Like, how, how's, how am I going to look at the news at night? Yeah, yeah, I know I need to, I'd, I'd like to. I would li and the goal is I'd like to not use it so I know just those times that have now been filled with entertainment and just filling my brain with just stuff. Um, so that's, you can ask me about it. Um, and we'll see how we go. We're, we're currently um, in, I think, week uh, day 16 of Lent, for those of you. Um, and Lent is this amazing period of time that leads up to Easter, um, the 40 days. 40 days are seen all throughout Scripture. Um, 
there's 40 days, right at the start of the 40 days and 40 nights of rain with Noah and then the 40 days where um, Moses is prepared, in the, he's sent into the wilderness for 40 years and then he's prepares, he sees, goes and encounters the Lord for 40 days and you see 40, I'm sure you've met someone who's really into repetitive numbers in the Bible and sees it as somewhat magical. Um, if that's you, it's not quite me, but I have discovered that 40 is seen so often. Um, some refer to it as just a, it's a symbol of many, a many, 40 meaning many. Um, but the 40 pattern usually is attached to fasting. It's usually attached to preparing, to revealing, kind of whittling away that which is kind of needs to be laid to one side to receive or to see God at the end. Um, so we're in the middle of this lovely Lenten period the goal being to be able to see a bit clearer at the end of that. Um, we have a, a verse that um, captures some of the 40 that we're in um, in the middle of Lent. Uh, in Matthew 4, uh, 4 to 11. Would anyone like to read this for me? Just feeling, we can do a bit of this. Have, um, have a drink of water, anyone? So, um, yeah, Matthew 4. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He fasted 40 days and 40 nights, and afterwards he was famished. The tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, One does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, so that you do not, will not dash your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again, it is written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain, and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he said to him, All these I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil left him, and suddenly angels came and waited on him. It's a pretty, um, the more I read this verse, the more kind of interesting it becomes. I was listening to Shane the first week where kind of everyone's wonderings about this and who, who recorded this event and is this literal, is this, is the devil. If you've seen any um, paintings of this event, there's often like a, like a big old devil standing behind Jesus in black um, or, you know, a bit kind of like a, What's the the clothed guy in Star Wars, you know, like kind of like, you know, he's kind of standing there looking a bit kind of whispering into his ear. Um, but that's kind of, yeah, it's it's pretty remarkable whether it's true, actual, whether it's it's a story, a narrative, whether it's accentuated, whether it's for a wisdom or a teaching. It's quite a remarkable 
set of events that this recalls, um, that this talks about. Last week we started looking at the very first part, you know, the Jesus being hungry um, and this devil um, coming to him and saying, if you are the son of God, command, or the tempter, command these stones to become loaves of bread. Um, and talking about relevance and that we all have a path, there is a path of, upon all of us to be relevant, to be meeting a need, um, to be living a life that has significance. And we live in a world with so many social causes and if you go to change.org or any of these um, sites where there's there's missions out there, there's change, climate change, there's just so many things that we need to get our, you know, move on or act on and being relevant is a big part of that um, that call that your time is not uh, empty or um, but it's always responding to a need um, and this Henry Nowen um, responded to that that call of our path to always being relevant and needed and um, and working hard that our lives only matter when we're we're worthy of them, um, with the path of contemplation, uh, the path of prayer, and the prayer that at its core is a message where God says, I love you, um, rather than I need you to do A, B, C, and D, but just I love you, and that being somewhat of enough. Um, through contemplative prayer, we can keep ourselves from being pulled from one great urgent issue to another and from becoming strangers to our own and God's heart. Contemplative prayer keeps us home, rooted and safe, even when we are on the road, moving from place to place, and often surrounded by sounds of violence and war. Contemplative prayer deepens us in the knowledge that we are already free, that we have already found a place to dwell, and we have alre- that we already belong to God, even though everything and everyone around us keeps suggesting the opposite. We love Henry now. Um, yeah, the message that the false path is you must live a life that's meeting needs constantly um, and being seen as someone of great relevance and the truer path being that you know you are loved and then you can go and meet need but you know that you are loved first, um, which I thought was, yeah, I really liked how you summed it up last week, Rod. It was really helpful. Um, And this week we move into the next... It's a pretty quirky way that the story and then this, uh, the devil just took Jesus up to the temple, um, Matrix style. In my mind, I don't know if they walked, wandered, strolled, if they just puffed in like in a movie. Uh, it's, it's such a fantastic verse that I'm like, I don't know how we did that. I don't know how we got there. Um, the temple, has anyone been to the temple, the second temple in Jerusalem? Looking to Pat and Louise because you guys have been everywhere. You guys, you've been there? Um, just, just Pat. Pat is our traveller. and he's. Um, so this is the temple, a temple in Jerusalem that this story kind of refers to, that they just appeared on the top for this part of, of, of the text. Then the devil took him to the holy city and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, which is thought to be this corner, but hey, maybe not, saying to him, if you are the son of God, Throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you. And on their hands they will bear you up, so that you do not even dash your foot against a stone. And Jesus said to him, again it is written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. 
So there's this moment where, whether you imagine two figures at the top here and jump off. Jump off because as we know in Scripture, you will not be harmed because you are God's son. Um, and that will be, I imagine, a very impressive moment if that was to happen. Um, almost the, <gasps> ooh, the kind of, uh, like if, if that were to happen, I could picture the response, horror, and then the fascination of the, the kind of pop-up. I, I might be exaggerating. I hopefully have not, you know, that's those email, remember to Shane, or you can send them that way. <laughs> but I just imagine that's, that's the temptation to suddenly... Um, to kind of to be a suddenly a spectacular divine person um, in that moment. We, um, Jerusalem, this part of Jerusalem was seen as sort of the epicenter of, of the things of God. Uh, this part of Jerusalem was where any God encounter was likely to occur, any sort of revelation of a new divine Messiah would be assumed to come potentially here. Um, Jerusalem at the time had emperor, there were emperors there that were taking their cues from the Greek gods and they were trying to be very impressive. Um, and that was even leaking into this, this temple culture that leaders who were impressive, who were flashy, who sort of people would, oh, ah, in the response to them was the culture of the day. Um, and in my imaginings, this is imaginings, this is not actuals, um, kind of like a few weeks ago of I wonder that if the devil, don't think of a dark kind of uh, cloaked evil, but just if we take the devil out and the devil being that voice of temptation rather than a personified, whether it was early morning or that there was a walk up to this top point and to look down at this point with that, I could jump off, I could be okay, and I could be seen as the waiting Messiah. Um, I could do that. That I don't know how long that wait would have been on the corner of, I could do that, I could fast track this thing. I find it so fascinating, that just the words of, you're not going to dash even a toe. You're not, your, your body will not break. You will not meet death. And we all, we all know the story. That is not what happens. But this temptation is your body will not break. You won't even get a scratch and you will not meet death. That's the temptation in front of Jesus. Um, and that's the decision is made. And then whatever scene you have in your mind of the quiet leaving of the corner of this pinnacle to go and meet a different life or a different narrative that included the breaking and the death that this tempter promised wouldn't happen. Um, Henry Nouwen is a goodie. I don't know if you know Henry Nouwen. He's a goodie. He's a Dutch uh, Catholic priest and theologian. And we're sort of talking a little bit on his, based on his book called In the Name of Jesus. So it's a book on leadership. Um, and some of the pitfalls of leadership and some of his wisdom around how to lead in a, in a community. Um, he had a very successful life as a theologian. Um, Yale and Harvard, he was seen as a, a great Christian thinker, um, kind of living the life of a Christian kind of guru in some sense of the word. Um, his books are extraordinary and he's written many of them. And there was a moment where he met Jean Vonnier, 
who had started the Lush community, the Lush community being small homes of people with intellectual and physical disabilities living alongside um, carers or helpers um, and doing life together rather than in kind of institutional kind of setups. Um, and these Lush communities were just slower communities, more gentler communities, and there was lots of um, life happened in the middle of these Lush communities. So Jean, uh, uh, Henry Nouwen went and stayed in one of these communities and his whole life was altered. He, um, he decided to leave his jobs in their, in their current form and go and live as a carer or as um, a helper in a small home and was uh, sort of paired up with this one man. Um, and then he's written books after that and then we have a whole new shift in him. Um, and he looks at these temptations of Jesus and he would say this, this temptation was a temptation to being spectacular, the temptation to being impressive. Um, and he felt it. He felt that his whole life had had the temptation to being impressive attached to it, that he had so many things on his back that what is a good life, a good life is full, it is successful in some forms. And he hadn't even noticed it. Like if I said the temptation to being popular, we might all think, oh, Tamsin, that's really nice. Like I'm not, I'm not so tempted to being popular is not my highest goal in life. That's, that's too easy. Like that's, we're all, I don't know, you might be really tempted by popularity, I don't know. But you'd be like, oh, that's sweet. However, it, it's more shadier than that. It's this temptation to being impressive, to being um, shinier maybe um, is a word that I love. Uh, this temptation to having, having your stuff together children in the room, but having your stuff together. Um, and Henry Nouwen said, living in a community with very wounded people, I came to see that I had lived most of my life as a tightrope artist, trying to walk on a high, thin cable from one tower to another, always waiting for the applause when I had not fallen off and broken my arm. But then I saw that Jesus had refused to be a stuntman and he did not come to prove himself, and yet I did. Um, the spectacular, um, we as churches often love and loathe spectacular leaders. We, um, I have been in churches with spectacular leaders. Um, I have admired spectacular people. I have edified and I've done, I've done all of that. I've bought the, the CDs or the, the cassette tapes with all their preaching on them. I have admired many people in them. But Henry Nouwen comments that the spectacular call is often a solo call. Um, the sort of path to being spectacular is often a private one or the path to being impressive is often your path and your ego's path and it does not include everyone around you. Um, it often needs people to admire you but it does not include them. Um, Jean Vonnier, I think Shane posted this. Um, has anyone listened to the podcast with Jean Vonnier um, on On Being? Extraordinary, be beautiful. But he talks about, um, kind of about Aristotle, but this is Jean Vonnier, the, the person who started these lush communities. Um, and he says, Aristotle makes a difference between being admired and being loved. When you admire people, you put them on pedestals. When you love people, you want to be together. Um, I'll read that again. Uh, he makes the difference between being admired and being loved. 
When you admire people, you put them on pedestals. And when you love people, you want to be together. Um, it kind of led me to this um, statement, true, false, to be discussed. You cannot love someone on a pedestal. And those on a pedestal can struggle to love because they have too much to protect. Do you want to just maybe spend a minute just on your tables, have a little chat about this statement? Um, disagree, just say lies, throw a shoe at me or something like that. You can, you, can, you can object. Or has this been your encounter as someone who has had a lot to protect and could not become vulnerable as a result? People were, had you in a position? Or uh, have you been in the presence of someone on that pedestal? Um, yeah, have a little chat amongst yourselves.
any, I'm going to speak loudly just so that conversation stop because that could go for half an hour. Any, any thoughts, comments that either summarise the table or just someone at your table wants to share um, just about the comment, about your experience with this? Anyone? Yeah. We were um, perhaps less on board with the second half of it, so the those on the pedestal can struggle to love um, until we kind of explored. I was thinking about it maybe subbing out the word love for be other-centred. So it takes away the idea of it perhaps being a specific one-to-one -one relationship and more of a thing of the degree to which we start to, to have our identity or motivation shaped by that, um, by that pedestal, then we lose the capacity to truly act in ways that aren't about self-interest. Yes. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think I just, like, it's a bit too real, Tamsin, um, to be honest. Um, I think <laughs> it's reminded me a lot of times in my own life, um, but then also a lot of friends, particularly in the very enthusiastic evangelical Christian leadership bubble, um, musicians, you know, just one area, where like, yeah, it's just very real. And we we're talking about that um, tension between like so desperately wanting to be known but knowing that if you're known you can't be the, the thing that you are and um oh, I've just seen it tear so many people apart and it's yeah anyway I just wanted to affirm it really and say that it feels very real and yeah we talked again about the word love and how it can be a yeah, I think it's the right one, but it's tricky because it means lots of different things. Like even with what you guys were saying, like, you know, yeah, you can be on a pedestal and be very giving and affirming and encouraging, but not in a reciprocal. And I think love needs to be a reciprocal. Um, yeah, anyway. Yeah, I like what you said there. Anyone? Was there a walk up to you. Oh, no, no, I won't do that. <laughs> how to ruin trust, guys. That's how to ruin trust. I'm just... <laughs> I disagree with the statement. <laughs> um, but also, as before said, that, you know, it depends on your interpretation of love and... Um, whether love is part of admiration or, or how you see it. Um, yeah, it's not... Uh, and, uh, um, and we, we've, we talked um, this week of there's sometimes... It's not an abdication of leadership, you know, of um, this kind of being on a pedestal. There's roles in life that we... And, and giftings and positions and responsibilities... Um, that should not be, you know, shirked away from. I think even in this week of watching how Jacinda Ardern responded to New Zealand, you see someone who's not... She's in a position of leadership and is responding appropriately um, and is, love, you know, is finding a way to connect with others in that. 
Um, but it's not egocentric. You can see that there's the ego compared to potentially other leaders in different countries. Uh, no comments of who. But potentially you see e the difference of ego, you know, in how vulnerable can... And I would say sh she was quite vulnerable in, in what she did. It could have gone pear-shaped. Um, but there was a vulnerability rather than a... I stood and was above everyone, but I was alongside and was breaking alongside other people, and that felt very genuine and authentic to me. And yeah, that's that was a I felt like a moment of true love while holding on to leadership and responsibility. So it's not it's a yeah things to discuss rather than truth to be to be said. Um, there's um, Kate Bowler. There's a podcast called. Um, Everything Belongs um, by Kate Bella. She is a, a beautiful 35-year-old mother, um, who uh, lecturer, theologian, and she was diagnosed with stage four cancer, um, just kind of out of the blue. And she's started this podcast of when things don't go to plan, kind of a podcast. When, and she just uh, words that I use often is just she um, talks about the shiny self, um, the competent self, the needed self the Instagram self um, as the pressure to have this self as the front and when life doesn't happen like that, um, that there's not another self left that you find yourself wanting. Um, I don't know if anyone's... I have discovered Instagram. <laughs> Instagram's a disaster for me. I have great capacity for, like, being sucked into the lure of Instagram um, world. Instagram... Um, <laughs> my first photo that I posted, I was like... <gasps> Someone liked me. Someone liked you. Like I was the sucker of Instagram. Of like, let's get to ten. I think we just got to twenty. Like I was like, whatever. I'm sure those of you who say, you know, psychologists know the hook of Instagram likes, and there's like these new addictions that are coming through, where you, are, there's something lovely in being affirmed, and there's something psychologically addictive. I, I feel like I was like, I should have been a poster child for Instagram addiction. Um, I'm not. I just was like, whoa, am I like happy to have another like, you know? And it, then this weird new set of like, get to 40. I'm like, why? Well, I don't care. I think it's never like, never, if you see my thing, th please, for my own ego's sake, never like anything of mine. Just to, it's a personal growth journey. Just kind of feel like unlike, do something unlike. This term ego porn, um, where I, th I find it really interesting of just this kind of buffering up um, where our ego is just needing a fill and needing another fill and not needing the consequences or the fleshing out of that. It's just the quick buff, I'm okay because this says I'm okay, I'm not okay. What's kind of that kind of quick fill, not a long term, um, but this ego porn. Again, don't like anything you see of me ever. <laughs> Bad for my ego. Um, Henry Nowen talks about this kind of elevation and this addiction to to being a shiny person um, and he says one way um, to contrast this is the life of ministry rather than the life of the spectacular to the life of ministry um, and even fleshing it out even more the life of community um, and the spiritual practice of community um, I've never thought of community like a spiritual practice um, I, and I've had mixed feelings about community, even, you know, in my however long I've been here, here about my involvement here. Um, it's been at times very conditional, very sort of, kind of, but it's, but the thought of it being a spiritual practice of mine um, has never crossed my mind. Um, 
but he, yeah, this ministry is not a communal, it, uh, it has to be communal and it has to be mutual. It can't be from one person, a giver and a receiver, and that being the only dynamic, it has to be a mutual. Um, we've got um, Jean Vonnier again talks about uh, the more a community deepens, the weaker and more sensitive its members become. You might think exactly the opposite, that as trust in each other grows, they in fact grow stronger. So they do. But this doesn't disperse the fragility and sensitivity which are at the root of a new grace and mean that people are in some way becoming dependent on each other. Love makes us weak and vulnerable because it breaks down the barriers and protective armour we have built around ourselves. Love means letting others reach us and becoming sensitive enough to reach them. The cement of unity is interdependence. I think for me the, um, this statement both I get like a belly excitement about and I also have been someone who has enjoyed community that's very much in control by my, like I'm kind of in control of that vulnerability um, uh, rather than, may, and maybe that's why I have had that love kind of in-out relationship with this community for many years. Um, yeah, it's kind of the, I don't, I don't want it to get too real you know, you know, it's kind of real and then there's too real. There's vulnerable with you guys and then there's too vulnerable. You know, there's these lines um, that we're always kind of tiptoeing. Um, but just this challenge from Jean Vanier and that love happens when we, are, when we are both vulnerable is when love occurs rather than when there's a shiny person at the front or a giver and a receiver. The receiver receives, the giver gives, and that's the only dynamic. Um, and we have at times in church world wanted that we want someone shiny up the front looking shiny because it's too confront it's too confronting if they are not shiny um for their i I think i've told i'm sure there's got to be like a red flag you put up when there's a story you're like we've heard this story before tamsin um the moment for me in this space that was i'd say the time i felt the love of god the most um, was a moment when I'd come to church two weeks after my mother had passed away. I don't know what, like, many of you would say that was very soon. And, and maybe it was, maybe not too soon, but it was it was incredibly raw moment um, to come to a potentially vulnerable place while you are vulnerable. You know, don't, you know, you just think, oh. Um, and they said a prayer for her and I broke down in tears, like grief in front of the community, just grief. Um, and if you've you've seen kind of grief crying, that was me crying in that moment. Um, and people came next to me and touched me and held me and kind of prayed in response um, in that moment. And I would say for the whole of my my community here, that little moment has been my truest, um, my most vulnerable, um, and also the moment where I felt the love of God through the people around me the most. And it was because I was so vulnerable in that moment um, and that guard came down and and that ministry occurred, I, I would say, um, given that it's still my highlight, um, or highlight's the wrong word, it's still my most powerful moment of this space. Um, it tells me that there's something in that vulnerability, not always, but but it's there. Um, Nadia Bolsweber, she's a goodie. Has anyone, you've seen photos of this woman? She's, got, she's a Lutheran minister covered in tattoos, 
CrossFit, she's got a fantastically filthy mouth that I love because it's kind of you're like, oh, she can say that. Um, and she does. She says it and then says it again. And then just to reiterate and make you feel more awkward, she'll say it again. And I love it. Um, but she, has, she uh, has a little community that she runs over in the States. And she talks about community providing something we cannot provide for ourselves but also confronts us. One reason people avoid community is because other people are disappointing. And yet by being in a community, we take turns at being disappointing and forgive each other and move on. Maybe it's a week for this person to be disappointing and maybe next week it's my week to be disappointing. It's a culture of turn-taking when it comes to who needs grace and who is the giving the grace. It's when we can believe someone else is believing for me and vice versa. Sometimes we are the ones being lowered into the room and sometimes we are the ones doing the lowering. And I'd say this takes a lot of work um, because of church default, um, because of our own nature. Um, I guess in trying to have a team leadership um, a collaborative, we're trying our best to not have a single person doing all the work and being that surrogate saviour at the front and stepping off, stepping off, stepping off, um, trying to, to know how to care for the community, in community, ourselves. Um, we, um, alongside this idea of community being a spiritual practice to kind of confront some of that ego temptation to be at the top, um, Jean, uh, Henry now talks about um, confession. Now, this is not the time I'm going to ask you to confess to me. Confession being the other spiritual practice that helps us stay um, connected to a truer path rather than the false path of the spectacular. Um, has anyone been to traditional Catholic confession? Yeah? Your face is telling me it wasn't. Was it? You grew up that way. Yeah, yeah. Um, George, my partner, he um, grew up with the, the Greek Orthodox Church and took me to the local Greek Orthodox Church in Caulfield. Um, it's a goodie, but there's this closed box in the corner where you go and do... I'm sort of tempted. I don't, I don't know what... I don't, it's obviously just a... I'm sure there's lots of things in the way that probably tackle me to stop me. I don't know. Um, but it is a one-way... A confessor and a confessee. It's one way that confession is done... Um, I like to think of confession as just declarations of truth um, and they happen to yourself where you declare truth to yourself. They happen before God where you declare a truth before God and they happen between us where we declare a truth between us. Um, and hopefully we're a confessing community. Um, by that it's not you need to sh open up your deepest, darkest selves, but it's just that we continually work at speaking truth to ourselves. We continually work at trying to be truthful before the God who loves us and being truthful before each other. And we try it again and again. And as part of the practice of coming again and again, we practice again and again to be confessing the truth of the love of God in ourselves. We'll probably pick up on that spiritual practice maybe next week um, and, yeah, just look at ways we can continually find our truth um, as we practice this discipline of community together. We, um, I'll just finish back on that picture um, before we take communion here. Um, yeah, I, like just this thought of um, the decision at the temple top to walk back down 
that the temptation not to be broken and not to face death was not, ta- was not taken and the path towards the cross was taken where Christ was broken and wounded and had to do. His church happened through a community of very fallen people and it was a different path um, that we continually look to as our path, that we also take a path not to avoid brokenness and pain, um, but we find love is right in the centre of it and somehow transforms it as well. So Maybe as we come to communion today, we will um, just keep that in mind, that sort of path that is not a shiny path necessarily or a short path or a solo path, um, but it is in fact a path that we do together um, in all its disappointing glory. Um, if you're not familiar, a communion with us to, is not is an option, no pressure. It doesn't come with you've got to sign the 10 points of belief structure or anything. Um, you might just like the little bit of juice uh, a la Hemi um, and you're more than welcome to come up. And it's called the, the Holy Knuckle. Um, we just have a few people who crack the crackers. Um, so maybe if you want to come up and take the elements and then we'll pray together. Hemi's ready. Hemi is at the front of the line. Get out of the way. You can go. There's now floor cracker. Thanks, Rod. <laughs> Extra holy. I know, it's even pre-carpet. Thanks, Rod. He's in for round two. That's the way. <laughs> we better hurry up. <laughs> uh, Jesus took the bread, and when he'd given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body. Let's take the broken bread. He took the cup and given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is the blood of covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Lord, thank you for the path that is before us. Um, Thank you that we are given choices every single day. Um, Be with us um, as we practice community, um, as we practice truth, and... um, Be with us as we go about this day. Amen. Amen.